At the turn of the 20th century, columnist and humorist Charles Aide traveled by steamer to the Philippines and hung around with his press corps pals to see the sights of America's brand new colony. All the reporters at the time were riveted to what the U.S. government was calling Emilio Aguinaldo's quote-unquote insurrection. But beyond the reports from the front lines of the Philippine-American War, what piqued Aide's interest were the goings-on way south of the capital city. In Mindanao, Brigadier General John C. Bates had just signed an agreement with Haji Muhammad Jamalul Kiram II, the Sultan of Sulu, imposing a stars and stripes sovereignty over the ancient kingdom in exchange for semi-autonomous status and monthly payments. Articles mixed in news about the negotiations with colorful, exotic details about life inside and outside the royal court. Getting wind of the Sulu affair, Aide wrote, The situation in Sulu had all the ingredients of comic opera, and I believed that a good satirical musical play could be built around the efforts of our American civilizers to play ball with Little Brown Brother. In 1902, the Sultan of Sulu would have its world premiere at Chicago's Studebaker Theater before it moved to Broadway and had a sold-out run of 192 shows. It's largely forgotten now, but back in the day, it was a smash hit. A reviewer called it excruciatingly funny and even said, It was the best thing we've gotten out of the Philippines yet. It almost reconciles one to the 20 million dollars we blew in for the archipelago. Welcome to the Colonial Department, the podcast where we take long-lost stories from Philippine colonial history and bring them to life. In this episode, let's turn on the stage lights on a little-known Broadway play that turned the Royal Court of Sulu into a comedy musical. This is Season 3, Episode 5, Sultan of Broadway. The Sultan of Sulu is a comedy musical with a complicated storyline that centers on the fictional Sultan, Kiram. Kiram happens to have the same name as Sulu's real-life Sultan, Jamalul Kiram. But as we'll soon see, the musical turns him into a rakish buffoon who gets into a pickle when American law starts meddling with his many wives. When the play kicks off, the audience is introduced to Sultan Kiram's eight wives, who begin the musical with a roll call that is interrupted by the arrival of two groups of Americans. One, a company of soldiers led by Colonel Budd, and two, a group of school teachers accompanied by Judge Advocate Pamela Jackson. As the Americans take over, the soldiers mix with the women of Sulu, but find out that they're all married to the Sultan, who's now bonding with Colonel Budd. When the clownish Kiram proposes to Pamela Jackson to become wife number nine, she walks away in a huff and returns to announce a new law straight from Washington, D.C. All men would only be allowed one wife. As Act 1 ends, Kiram, now the sham governor of Sulu, is on the brink of losing all of his wives to the delight of the military volunteers. Act 1 ends with a song entitled, Till the Volunteers Return which you can hear performed by Ohio's Canton Comic Opera Company, who uploaded a video of their performance on YouTube 12 years ago. 
the curtain opens on Act 2, and the desperate Kiram is trying very, very hard to avoid paying alimony to his exes. Undeterred by the new law, however, the rakish sultan confesses his love to Colonel Bud's daughter in a musical number called Since I First Met You. But she's already engaged to a U.S. lieutenant, and then the song is taken up by every member of the cast except lonely old Sultan Kiram. But he'll soon be lonely in jail, as Pamela Jackson gleefully informs him that if he doesn't pay one half of his income to each of his seven ex-wives, off he goes to the cooler. Kiram gets dizzy trying to do the alimony math, and concocts harebrained scheme after harebrained scheme to avoid prison. From Sultan, Kiram finds himself becoming a quote-unquote matrimonial agent, arranging the marriage of his ex-wives to the American volunteers so he can wiggle out of paying alimony. But it's too late. We soon see Kiram dressed in prison stripes with a big number 47 sign on his chest. In the end though, Kiram is saved from arrest thanks to a bureaucratic loophole that says the constitution only follows the flag on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. On all other days, the Americans would respect the local laws and customs of Sulu. Colonel Bud orders the release of Kiram, who resumes his rightful place as Sultan and is quite happy not to die. The cast closes the play with a reprise of Since I First Met You. As you can see, the plot of the musical revolves heavily around the Sultan of Sulu's multiple wives. According to a 2015 book written by author and professor Victor Roman Mendoza, the real Sultan Jamalul Kiram only had one wife. However, an obituary published in Time magazine in 1936 said that he had many wives but no sons. Whatever his marital status, American accounts of the time wrote of his concubines as well as his slaves. The reports of his 13 concubines became a fully-fledged rumor that the Islamic royal was married to an entire harem of women. The American public was both scandalized and titillated. For Americans at the turn of the 20th century, the Moro was a thrilling, romantic, exotic, and dangerous figure. He was many things at once in their heated imagination. A treacherous pirate, vengeful warrior, backward savage, noble native, and religious fanatic. Travelers talked about their colorful dresses, their tight pants, their alleged tendency to explode into juramentado violence. You can imagine straight-laced Americans tut-tutting in public about their practices of slavery and piracy and then fanning themselves deliriously in private over reports about how Moro men and women were quote-unquote basically naked with the brown skin of the native unadorned. Reports of polygamy added to the allure and the moral panic. America had been through this before. Decades before the U.S. had occupied the Philippines, furious congressional hearings had been called to decry the Mormon practice of marrying multiple times. An editorialist for a New York newspaper recalled the Mormon issue as he slammed the Sulu negotiations. He wrote, Is it alright to go against Mormon Roberts for having three wives? But how about the coming under our jurisdiction, the Sultan of Sulu, with his 300 wives? 
For many, polygamy was backward practice and an affront to sensibilities. It was also a symptom of an inferior society and an inferior race. George Aid played into the racial zeitgeist when he chose to turn the Sultan of Sulu into a cartoonish buffoon who had to juggle the problem of many women at the time. He made no pretense of factual accuracy, as the playwright makes clear in his smirking disclaimer that intros the published script. Yes, Kiram was based on Sultan Kiram, and Colonel Bud was based on Brigadier General Bates. But in promotional photos, actor Frank Mulan played Kiram in a clown's baggy pants with a strange mohawk meets medieval monk haircut, shaved eyebrows, and a winking smile plastered on his face. A far cry from how the actual Sultan really looked. In the play, the wives have the unlikely names of Chiquita, Lolita, Ramona, Natalia, Selina, and so on and so forth. There were no Moro or even Filipino props in production, and the director didn't have the cast put on blackface or yellowface makeup, as you would have expected from that time. The quote-unquote Sulu in the musical The Sultan of Sulu is a fantastical place that is wholly made up in George Aid's imagination. That's because, argues Professor Victor Roman Mendoza, George Aid wasn't poking fun at the Sultan of Sulu or the Moros or the Philippines at all. He was satirizing the entire colonial project itself and the narratives the Americans used to justify it. After all, George Aid was a fierce anti-imperialist. He did not like the idea of the United States taking over the Philippines one bit and in his many writings, he used comedy to tear it down. Before he wrote The Sultan of Sulu, George Aid's columns were already being praised by his literary hero, Mark Twain. The author of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn was a member of the Anti-Imperialist League and through a series of poems and essays and interviews, had argued vigorously against the American eagle sinking its claws into the Philippines. George Aid was not a member of the League, but he was one of the most prominent figureheads of the movement, thanks to humorous short stories that skewered the idea of the United States' mad eagerness to put colonizer into its LinkedIn resume. In his musical play, George Aid lost none of his sarcastic bite. When Colonel Bud first meets Kiram, he asks him blandly if the Sultan consents to the United States' benevolent assimilation. Kiram notices the rifles all pointed at him and asks if they're loaded. When Bud says that they are, the Sultan says, I consent! In other parts of the operetta, the playwright pokes fun at alimony payments, receptions, grammar, society's expectations of married women, government bureaucracy, the civilizing enterprise, and more as the fish-out-of-water sultan scratches his head at the strange practices of his new occupiers. You can read the full script of The Sultan of Sulu over at archive.org to judge for yourself if the reviews were right. Reading through it, I did appreciate the smart-talking sultan character, an outright clown who's both glib and gullible, and who packs a couple of singing punchlines up his puffy sleeves. Meanwhile, the real Sultan Jamalul Kiram II 
ended up visiting the United States in 1910, eight years after the play first premiered. By that time, he was a mere figurehead, with his political power greatly curtailed by the U.S. government. During the visit, naughty newspaper wags reported that Sultan Kiram was willing to pay up to $25,000 to add a SoCal girl in his harem, and that he had even proposed marriage to the eldest daughter of Theodore Roosevelt. Those reports were all false. Those things, however, sound like something George Aid Sultan Kiram would do. When Jamalul Kiram visited the Big Apple, the New York Times reported that the ruler of Sulu had not only heard about the musical, but that he regretted that he was not able to see the comedy sing-along version of his life. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Colonial Department. References used in this episode are written on the show notes, but I'd also like to express my thanks to my two main sources. In Chapter 4 of the book Metro Imperial Intimacies, Fantasy, Racial Sexual Governance, and the Philippines in U.S. Imperialism 1899-1913, author Victor Roman Mendoza goes in-depth with his analysis of this Broadway musical. Meanwhile, Oliver Charbonneau's book Civilizational Imperatives, Americans, Moros, and the Colonial World also discusses the play and the real-life sultan that inspired it. Of course, you can read the script of the entire play at archive.org. Quotes from sources were read by Anya Ong. Snippets of songs and audio from the play came from the performance of the Canton Comic Opera Company, who uploaded recordings of their staging on YouTube. The Colonial Department was written and produced by Liu Mangubat. Follow us on Instagram at The Colonial Department.